At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Imagine a life without challenges. I'm not sure if that's a worthy life. I will face challenges, embrace them. And, um, and believe that when you fail, it just means that that's not the right thing for you to do. There's a lesson to learn. Let's take that lesson learned with you and then move forward. Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, I hope all is well with you today and you're getting your year off to a great start. I know I am. It is another beautiful day here in North Carolina. And this episode is brought to you by our sponsors, Ignite Management Services and Liberty Strength. These sponsors help me bring these shows to you each and every week. So I encourage you to click on their links below and check them out. I also want to remind you that the Qualified Leadership Book Series, which includes all three of my best-selling leadership books, is now available on my website, johnsrenny.com, and you get all three books for 15% off the Amazon and Barnes & Noble price, but this offer is only available on my website. Now, this is the perfect way to get 2024 off to a powerful start, so check it out at johnsrenny.com. Well, that is it. Today, we have a very special guest. It's Dr. Deji Ayoade. Deji grew up in Nigeria, but he dreamed of a better life. Instead of just dreaming about it, he worked for it. He became a veterinary surgeon, but had a desire to come to America. To do that, he joined the U.S. military. He became the first African immigrant to become a nuclear missile operator in the United States Air Force, and he ended up serving in three U.S. military branches. Deji is an incredible individual with a remarkable story of hard work, perseverance, and a never-giving-up-on-your-dream attitude that will truly inspire you. And I know you'll love this conversation as much as I did, so are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Deji Ayoade. Deji is the first African immigrant to become a nuclear missile operator in the United States Air Force and serve in three military branches. He is a trained veterinary surgeon, combat medic, nuclear weapons systems subject matter expert, senior program analyst, and a U.S. Space Force Department of Defense civilian at the Pentagon. His new book is called Underground, a memoir of hope, faith, and the American dream. And in this book, Deji tells the story of how he overcame an impoverished childhood in Nigeria to achieve his American dream. I am excited to have him on the show to learn how we can all achieve our dreams and learn what it truly means to find faith and purpose. So Deji, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, John. Thank you for having me. 
You know, it's an honor to meet you. And I don't think I, I well, we've never had anybody in the show that has served in three different branches. So that's pretty uh, remarkable, first of all. And to do it as an immigrant uh, is especially remarkable. So I'm honored to have you on the show and to learn from your experience and and, and, and how you did it. So let's just start off. Uh, your book, your new book is called Underground, A Memoir of Hope, Faith, and the American Dream. So what compelled you to write this book? Why did you want to get this out into the world? Uh, yeah, thanks, John. So uh, when we had my daughter in 2010, uh, I, I thought it was important that I, you know, I put together a record, you know, of how it all began and how, because I was the first to come down here from my family in Nigeria, and I wanted to have a record for my children. So, you know, when they get older, they, I mean, they're born here, they, they're probably, you know, I'm not sure, maybe in the next, by the time they're older, they get older and have kids, my grandkids and grandchildren may not even look anything like me, I, you know, you never know, but it'd be nice to have a record for them to go back to and know how, how it all began. So uh, that was what uh, motivated me, so what is, wasn't supposed to be a memoir at all. And then, Three years later, uh, we had a son, and that was when, you know, I sat down and just started writing, you know, that I, I need to carry a record. Uh, so I gave the the rough, the, it was just a draft then, and I just wanted to share it with, with my wife. Uh, so she, you know, I wanted her to read about the things that I probably never had talked about, about before, about my childhood and growing up and things like that. And you know, she read it and she, you know, she was really crying. And he said, I, I can't believe, you know, you went through all this. And mm. like, how did you, you know, stay normal and, 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 and still motivated to, you know, and to keep moving forward and said, you absolutely have to publish this because, you know, there are a lot of immigrants that could really use, you know, some of this, you know, uh, so at first I wasn't hesitant and then, you know, I wrote a query, sent that out to literary agencies, and a lot of agents were interested. That was when I knew there was something special about the book, and I decided to, you know, really dig in and write the book and, you know, finish it and then publish it. I love it. And, you know, it's interesting. You're not the first person who has said that on our show, where it was something about leaving a positive legacy behind for their their children and grandchildren that kind of sparked them to write their stories. So, and I'm really glad you did. I think these stories need to be told because often you you never hear of, we always see people at the top of their game after, after they've achieved their objectives. And then, and we don't realize the struggles that they go through to get there. And so I think telling yeah. your story allows um, the people that come after you or people that, like you say, other immigrants who are saying, wow, this is really hard. You know, Deji seems like he's got it all together. When you can see, well, Deji, you didn't have it all together in the beginning, right? So, and so I no. think it's really good to tell stories like this. I think it's really important. You know, you you said something really important, and I think I've said it in a few of my podcasts. That it's very easy for, if you know, I think all of us as, as human beings just look at successful people and just, you know, just be proud of them and them and and just you know, kind of respect them and, you know, make all this noise about them and just assume it's just happening like that, you know. And I just, 
you ever consider what was that it might have taken uh, for them to get that far. You know, in my opinion, I'm just, you know, I'm thankful for what I've had the opportunity to do and how far it's gone and the things I have done. But, you know, there are people also out there that have really done what, you know, wonderful things and, you know, I mean, uh, things that I, I can't even compare my with, you know, but as much as I, I you know, I look at those people and other people do it, it only if we just sit down with those people and probably spend 30 minutes with them on that, you know, or one hour just to get, you know, um, just a little bit of what it took to get to where they've gotten into, you know, and what, you know, the work they have to do and things they have to work on. Yeah. 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 I think, I think we're not aware of it. We only see, we only see the mountaintops. We don't see the valleys. And I think the valleys are what make us successful. Actually, it's what, it's what we learn in the valleys that make us successful for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So what are your hopes? You've got the book out there now. It's been out there. What are your hopes for this book? You know, honestly, my, my hopes for the book is uh, to get it into as many hands as possible. Uh, you know, I remember when when I was publishing it, you know, I asked myself, why do I, why do I want to publish this book? What's the whole point? And I remember, you know, he said, you know what? If this book isn't going to touch lives, I, I don't want it to work out. But if this book is going to touch lives, I want, I want it to work out. I want mm-hmm. to publish it and I want the process to happen and the book to get out of there and 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 then see how many lives, you know, that uh that could take you know, that could touch and and how many people that could, you know, uh spring into, you know, working on their our desires, their dreams, and you know, just that's strength, the that hope, you know, and their faith to just keep going, you know, no matter what they have to face. Uh so and I'm glad it's out there. You know, I'm going to be honest. You know, I I haven't the results so far. I think outweighs the the world I think I've put in so far. You know, the, the responses that I'm getting from people, you know, the reviews that I'm getting, you know, and, you know, even people that I sometimes, you know, my kids just play with my name on Google and then they start showing me things. <laughs> you know, that I... And they say, "Oh, Daddy, you're famous." I'm like, "I'm not famous." <laughs> <They're> like, oh, <laughs> is it, you know, really, what this, what they're saying about you and about your book, you know, it's like, yeah. "Oh, okay, that's true." You know, I have to sometimes I have to remind myself that I actually have a book out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, you know, but because I'm busy picking up something, you know, something else, and uh, so I, I pray and I hope that it continues to touch lives, and I really hope it does really well, so that you know my. Number one goal is that all proceeds from that book, you know, goes towards scholarships, you know, for students that were just like me when I came to the U.S., and, you know, and medical students as well. So uh, hopefully it does well enough so that we're able to do more, you know, get more out of what we try to do with the book. I love that. That's fantastic. So tell us a little bit about your story. I mean, um, what was it like growing up in Nigeria and how did you, how did you ever spark a dream to come to the U S and, and do what you did? That That's really curious to me because I think, I think it'd be interesting because I was looking through the book and, and to paint the picture of what it's like and like, 
like life expectancy, who goes to college, who, you know, what what's life like in Nigeria? Paint the picture for us of what your life is like. <laughs> yeah, that's very broad, very broad. But let me paint it like this. I, I'll start with how it started for me, you know. Uh, so I, I was... I was born in Lagos and I was raised in Lagos. And when people hear Lagos, Lagos almost sound, sounds like New York. You know, it is a very popular place. But I grew up in on the outskirts of Lagos. You know, it, it, you know, it was one of the most remote areas, like towns. I was in it, I grew up in a town that no one knew about. I, in fact, I remember when we moved out there. I took the map of Lagos and I couldn't even find where we live. <laughs> you know, on the map. Yeah. You know, it didn't even exist. <laughs> I always have remote, you know, the place was. And uh, I remember there was a little one primary school, which is equivalent to elementary school there. Uh, that was the only one primary school and only one high school, secondary school. You know, and all the kids in the entire town went to that same school. Um the schools ranked very poorly. I think my my school, especially my high school, was probably one of the lowest in the entire country. And Nigeria is a big country, you know, with a lot of schools and a very educated country. That's, I mean, there are a lot of smart people from, from the, a lot of a really good schools, to put it that way, um, you know, in Nigeria, at the primary and high school. So we weren't anywhere near that. Uh, but what, when I was seven years old, you know, I woke up one morning and uh, and I was, you know, where the night before I was hearing the noises, you know, and I knew it was my dad doing the beating of my mom again. And uh, it wasn't the first time. So the, in the morning I woke up, when I woke up, I went to my mom's room and she was sitting there, you know, with bruises on her face and, uh, and she was bleeding, you know, she was in that, you know, I, I wished I could do something about it, but I couldn't, but, you know, I held her close and I promised that that very day, I still remember vividly. You know, seven years old, that one day I will become a, a doctor and I will become an American citizen and I'll take him far away from here. And I think that lived with me for um, as long as it took me. I mean, I think my mom didn't come here until shoot, I was 33 years old. So it was 20 something years later when that eventually happened, you know. But everything I did, I think uh, that was um, also the beginning of what drew over me, you know, the challenges I faced with going to schools that didn't prepare me to be successful, you know, coming from a house, all that wasn't the best, you know, in terms of, you know, the violence and, and corporal punishments and all that. And then you know, I walked three miles to school, back in, to school and back, you know, since I was that little and, you know, even when the classes came down, I, we went to, to the bush to cut palm fronts and build classes on the field. You know, and then when the rain started, the, the churches and the mosque in the, in the area took us in. You know, it was that bad, you know, just to get education was a difficult thing. Uh, you know, but the most challenging years, you know, was when I was in college, pre-med and a grad school. And, you know, it was hard to pay my tuition. And there were times I went days without food. You know, I would just drink water, eat bread you know, with sugar and salt, <laughs> you know, and uh, so the one thing that kept me going, you know, was because I made a promise to my mom and I made a promise. That promise also extended to my siblings and I was going to, you know, dropping out 
of school wasn't an option for me. I never ever considered it, you know, and in that's eventually, you know, I became a doctor, you know, and after that, that was when things started happening. I got a nice job and uh, by the same time, I knew though that my life was here. I always knew, you know, I didn't lose focus even when things started getting better as a practicing uh, surgeon and um, when I got the opportunity to come down with a scholarship to the U.S., you know, I took it and came down. And that was how my life started in the U.S., you know. Uh, yeah, a lot of this is about Nigeria. I know people see a lot of stuff about Africa on TV. You know, a lot of them are true. A lot of them uh, it may not be as. That's not a world depiction of what goes out there, you know. But I experienced the typical, like, like, typical poverty that you see on the media, you know, that, you know, when I was a teenager, not eating for days, work, working miles and miles to exams and, and not having food in my belly, you know, just for three days, things like that, you know. But now I think, you know, it was worthwhile when I came to the U.S. and I was in grad school, I was writing my board exams and, you know, I, uh, but I always knew I wanted to be in, in, in military, you know. Um, so uh, I remember I went from my last, and that's why I came to Riley. I came to interview at, I think it was University of Car- uh, North, uh, North Carolina uh, Veterinary School. There's veterinary school there. Yeah, that was one of the three schools that wanted me to do my residency with them <laughs> over and again in the U.S. Uh, so, and um, I remember I went back home and told my wife, I'm going to join the military. <laughs> he said, are you okay? <laughs> you know, you're, you're a doctor. Just, you know, be a doctor, we're married. You have a green card now, you know, permanent resident and just practice and, you know, your residency again and you'll be fine. And like, you know, first, I'm not sure I see myself spending the rest of my life in the clinic doing surgeries, number one. Yeah, I can always do it. I, I have the qualification. Number two, I have a family in Nigeria that are counting on me. You know, I think it's better for us to spend the first few years of our lives to invest in our lives to give them some opportunity. Opportunities we have in, you know, so they can do what, you know, they will with it. Um, you know what they say, you it's better to teach a man out of fish and not just keep giving a man fish, right? And just keep feeding someone, you get it. So I really and that was where uh, and a military will make that happen quickly. We were at war then and so I need to go to naturalize me fast once I show up to training, you know, and the military did that for me, and that's how I fight for my mom and that I was in the Navy. Uh, I'm not sure if you want me to stop off to when I'm not sure if you want me to keep going about how it went. Yeah, I'm interested. Like so 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 you saw the military as a quicker path to 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 becoming full time here in America than not just a green card, but 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 moving towards citizenship. Is that to what you were thinking? Actually there, there, there are about two or three things. Let me see if I can remember about things that thought uh, reason why I chose the military. So number one, I was looking for I was looking up, I was looking for personal fulfillment, really. I was trying to find my purpose in life. I knew, I know, I mean, I'm a family guest, uh, and, and I knew I could achieve what I wanted to achieve, you know, with my family. But me personally, you know, why do I exist? What makes me happy? What change can I make while I'm alive? And I knew that would be for something that was so much more bigger than, than, than myself. And I couldn't quite 
figured it out, but I knew that going to the military uh, was a challenge on like no order that I had ever faced. And I, I knew I was ready for it deep that because I was pretty much raised like a military kid with the kind of father that raised me, you know? So, so the military couldn't be harder than leaving my house, you know? That was the way I kind of imagined it. That was number one. And, and I felt that if I could touch so many lives through military service, like, it's like, you know, getting two for one, you know, I, I can do that. And then the same military, naturally, we, we're not sure because of what was going on there, I can get my citizenship instead of waiting three years. Because I got my permanent residency through marriage. And that I needed to wait three years to naturalize. But the military, they care about that. As long as you come in, we had to enlist a quick commission because I didn't have citizenship. So I enlisted instead. And also my wife had issues with, like, you're way too qualified to do that, you know. But yeah. what I do, I said, well, but I would get my citizenship fired from a moment of time so she can come over, right? And then the military, on it, you know, I think the third reason was, you know, I, I was making enough money to fight for my mom and have my siblings. And so it's all winning. I don't see where it's risky, you know. Yeah. The fear with, you know, that we joined the military. And that was what, uh, the motivation, that was how I ended up in the military. You know, but it didn't take long though for me to find out that I loved being in the military. Mm, you know, yeah. You know, I, you know, it just it didn't take too long. And I knew immediately, like, yes, this is what I've been looking for. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. As a leader, you're responsible for the mission and the people assigned to you. Regardless of the size of your team, employees are depending on you for their lives and careers. For the sake of your team and the people who entrust you with this role, you need to master the skills to become a great leader. Best-selling leadership author John Rennie is proud to introduce the Qualified Leadership Book Series. This new series teaches you how to become a people-centered leader. Great leaders know that employees who are respected, appreciated, and allowed to grow will go the extra mile. These books provide real-world leadership wisdom written from a hands-on perspective. If you want to be a more effective leader, this is the one book series you should read this year. This three-book series contains the following best-selling leadership books. I Have the Watch, You Have the Watch, and All in the Same Boat for one low price of $39.99. Begin your journey to become a leader worth following. Go to johnsrenny.com and get your order in today. This episode is brought to you by Ignite Management Services. Ignite is led by Mike Watson, who you might remember from episode 137. Mike and his team believe that everything starts with leadership, whether it's strategy execution or cultural transformation. It's the role of the leader to create the conditions for their people to succeed. The team at Ignite can help you develop critical habits to enhance your leadership capability and transform your business. Ignite Management is now offering the Resilient Leadership Assessment Tool, This is an online questionnaire designed to assess and guide leadership development, coaching, and team building. It provides leaders an opportunity to gain insights into their leadership strengths and development needs. After taking this assessment, you will receive a custom detailed report that provides practical and actionable recommendations to enhance your effectiveness. I have taken this assessment myself and found it to be extremely valuable in helping me make changes to my leadership approach. Right now, Ignite is offering 15% off the price of this tool to the deep leadership audience. Go to ignitemanagement.ca and enter the code START15 at checkout to get started today. 
This episode is brought to you by Jeremy Clevenger at Liberty Strength. As a high-performing leader, you know that leadership isn't about telling people what to do. It's about leading by example. And for most people, the one area that they are lacking when it comes to leading by example is their health and fitness. By improving your health and fitness, every other area of your life improves. Your energy skyrockets, your sleep improves, your confidence increases, and more. But how can you get and stay fit as a busy leader? Well, you do what you've always done. You hire the best people for the job. Don't struggle on your own. Put liberty strength in your corner. Jeremy and his team will work with you to take your physique, mindset, nutritional habits, and more to the next level with his step-by-step, all-inclusive coaching program. I've worked with Liberty Strength for the past two years, and I'm in the best shape of my life, and I'm still hitting strength personal records at 56 years old. If you want to step up your game, reach out to Jeremy at LibertyStrengthTX.com to find out more and get your initial consultation scheduled with him today. So, so talk about talk about you were a sailor, and then you went and you became an airman in the Air Force, and then a guardian in Space Force. So, tell us a little bit about that because that's kind of interesting. Because uh, I mean, most of most veterans I talk to, you they do one. I, I, I've known a se- several people who have done a couple of their, two services, but I've never met anyone that's done three. So, tell us a little bit about that. How you why you went into made that shift and went into uh, the missile silos in in, in the Air Force. Well, so it wasn't planned. It just happened. So, <laughs> uh, so in the Navy, it's so, you know, after I was naturalized, I showed up in my first command and, you know, I got my, my clearance. So I was automatically eligible to commission as an officer. So what Navy didn't have um, veterinary field, that was number one. And they didn't have public health. They had environmental health. So when they offered me, um, you know, uh, you know, in options to commission, you know, programs to commission into, they were mostly, you know, like the job you had in the military, yeah. submarine officers, right? You know, being being an officer or something like that was good. They had that, or there was PA. And then, so, and most of the jobs really were legal to keep me at sea for the most part, honestly. Yeah. Uh, and I already I was already gone from my family. I think three years straight or so, you know. So at that point, it was my wife, my 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 my, son, and my daughter, and she was pregnant with my son. So we had to start reevaluating things. So, but I could go leave the military and go and start practicing, or I said, well, I could commission in. You know, it's the Air Force instead of the Navy if the concern was to. So it was more of a compromise, right? That, okay, I want to serve, but at the same time, I want to do my job as a father and as a husband, you know? So that's how I went to the Air Force and the plan was something to commission as a public health officer. And then the Air Force said they weren't looking at a time. And if they had specific jobs that were available, I didn't care. I just applied to whatever they had. So, Anyways, and, and then I was offered, it was really interesting because uh, my batch was the last batch for that entire year and the Air Force stopped commissioning for that entire year when I went in. I was one of the three, you know, uh, three um, uh, applicants that uh, were selected from the, the California and Arizona zones. 
you can imagine, I mean, that out of you know, something applicants. Uh, so that it was just, uh, I mean, as I knew there was something there for me. And, you know, I didn't question it. I said, okay, that's the job you guys are offering me. Nuclear missile operations. Okay, I'll take it. <laughs> but at the same time, I was, I was surprised, you know, why they gave me a job like that. I said, look, I'm an immigrant. I mean, that job required a high level of clearance, you know. Yeah. I mean, serious, you know, scrutiny of your past and things like that. I mean, I wasn't concerned about that. I was just, I felt you know, really humbled by that, you know, I, I didn't believe that was possible. So I was really excited, really. And then, so, you know, I did that. I went from Navy and then I did that, you know, in the Air Force. And when my time was over, uh, we were going to move down to East Coast. And so I rode into reserves, right? And then you know, the Air Force offered me an opportunity, you know, in the Pentagon. As a civilian, so I went there and I was on reserve duty as well. So I was doing that, and uh, my reserve time ended, and then we created Space Force. And when Space Force, you know, after that happening, I was one of the inaugural members. You know, I and I got promoted from the Air Force to Space Force um, <laughs> to start putting things together. So the that's first, how I didn't. I think you're the first Space Force. Uh, uh, <laughs> someone who served in the space force you're the first one i think so we we, we have a lot of uh air force and navy and coast guard but i think you're the first space force so we we can check that box now <laughs> so, yeah, right you you have that down now so yeah yeah we, we, so what i'm interested in is um one of the things that's really unique about your story is perseverance. You persevered through tremendous uh, obstacles. Um, at any point in time, you could have quit. Uh, you, as you mentioned, you you couldn't. You, when you were going through school in Nigeria, you said, "I can't quit from my family. Right, I have to do this. Uh, there is no there is no uh, failure. Failure is not an option." You know, I, no. I've been through similar situations when I went through Nuke Power School. I was not. Uh, I was not up to speed compared to my peers and, uh, but, but I just, I did not have a plan B. So I was like, I have to, I cannot fail. I have to get through this. I have to get through. Yes. Yeah. So how do you, um, <laughs> tell us a little bit about the, the character it takes to have that level of perseverance. How do you develop that? And, you know, how can we help our listeners understand how to develop that level of perseverance that you are going to overcome no matter what comes your way? you are going to achieve your objectives. Uh, yeah, I think, thanks, John. So, it, you know, I think first, the challenges we face uh, is, very, it, it, it's very important, right? What challenges are we facing? What's our background like? Do we have a plan B? You mentioned that earlier. Do you have a plan B or not? This is, mm -hmm. the only, this is my only way out of my situation type of um, predicament. Uh, I think those are there, but also I think there's also the spiritual aspect of things where you latch onto something, you know, and in my case, that was hope, you know, and, and that's why I titled the book, you know, hope, you know, I mean, of hope, uh, faith and the American dream. That way times, and I, I, again, I remember vividly when I was just sitting by myself when I was a little boy, you know, maybe on the field or somewhere, and I would just be crying. And I'm just asking, and I'd be asking 
said, God, why are these bad things happening? Why, why are the little kids, five, six year olds, you know, just, you know, hawking, you know, with three on their heads and selling things on the roads and some of them getting hit by the cars, you know, and why are they, you know, there are just so many things that just didn't seem right. So why, why can't things be better, you know, and I have to make things better for me and my family because mm. I don't want to settle into this. It can be better. You know, and then when you're watching American movies, you know, Hollywood and all that, like, what is that? Some people that live like that, you know? Yeah. So, you know, so I, so I, I think, you know, for me, that seed, you know, that, that I can, that was sown into me, I think, uh, because of what was going on. And, I think the determination inside me was that relentless. And I think I started going through things that started preparing me. You know, by the time, between my primary school and my first year in college, I think I had gone through enough things that there was nothing that was going to happen to me in college that I wasn't going to be able to overcome. I mean, and I'm going to give you a quick example. When I was writing my final year high school exams in Nigeria, there are two different types of exams, national exams you have to write to get into college. The the exam board, we decide which school center you, you will take your exams. And he decided to put me and my brother like 30, uh, 13 miles away from the house. You know, and we didn't have money to even take the bus, you know. So I would, my brother and I woke up very early in the morning. We quickly walked down to where the, the you know, the, tank, the petrol tankers, you know, the, food, the gas, they've got them gas here, you know, like got them petrol tankers, like the 18 wheelers, right? Where they park, and they were like hang behind, you know, the back of the tanker, you know, with petrol, you know, it, it, you know, I mean, now was no charge to be doing that, and they would hide and just hold onto the ladder behind, and that would take us probably about eight miles out, you know, and then we we walk the rest to the exam hall, and I did that for probably about fifteen to six about fifteen exams, I think, in, within one month, mm. and I can tell you that. Three quarter of those exams, I didn't eat before going to exams. I didn't eat when I came back and I studied for the next one. So when I was in vet school, I was going through things, but I'd gone through similar things when I was younger. So that was no excuse, you know. And then number two, you know, something inside me, you know, just didn't change. I believed that if I kept going, you know, if I talk to, you know, the plan and if I continue to work hard and I, I, I keep my vision inside, right, that I was going to achieve it. I just had, even though I was in the middle of nowhere and it seemed impossible, I, I just never, you know, thought that I never doubted I wasn't going to happen, you know. And, and with all that, when you, when you were like that, you, the tendency, how you deal with disappointments can be rough. Because you you believed and you kind of just have this faith that things are going to happen. And for years, they, those things didn't happen, you know. Uh, but one thing I never did was to lose hope. Mm. And if anything, my faith got much stronger. And uh, I just, and every time things come up, you know, I would say, you know, I would just like, yeah, it's going to happen. You know, and I close with this story. One of my friends, God bless his soul. And. He's late now. You know, when I came to the U.S. and I 
when I started working in the Pentagon, you know, he just reached out to me. I remember, you know, in the chat, he said, you know, when in very school, to be honest with you, we all thought you were crazy. You know, you would say these things in class. Yeah. You know, or when we talk, you know, when I visited you and go away hanging out, you're always saying these things. And we all thought this guy is going crazy because of frustration and and whatever. But everything you said, you have achieved them. You have done them and you've achieved them. It's unbelievable, you know, that we thought you were just going to give up at some point. And, you know, so I'll just say, you know, honestly, I give credit to my maker, honestly, you know, for building me that way. Uh, And also for genuinely, I genuinely care about people. And so imagine if uh, the people, imagine how I feel about my family. You know, I I just couldn't stand it, you know, to to see what's going on. You know, no security. We're not guaranteed if we're gonna go to bed and wake up the following day because things were just happening, and you can you can get attacked or killed anytime. You know, my mom was getting abused all the time. My brothers and myself, we we ran into accident multiple times on the bike. Why? And then there, human sacrifice us too. So you know, every show one night you might get sent on an errand and we may not, we not come back home. You know, that would happen. Yeah, so I think uh, those things were tough things, but I think those things really prepared me. I love it. I love the story. The book is fascinating. Um, what final message would you like to leave with our listeners? Oh, thank you. So uh, the final message is that uh, you have to know, I heard that some people don't, don't believe in American dream anymore. Uh, that's not a thing anymore, but I I respectfully disagree. Uh, I think for all of us, American dream is not having millions of dollars in your account, a wife, two kids, and a dog. You know, uh, you have to figure out what your American dream is. You know, my American dream started with my mom building a life for my mom and my family in the United States. And when I achieved that, I figured out quickly that there's so much more I could I do with my life. Mm-hmm. so much more I could still achieve. So you need to set, you need to know what your dream is. And then you need to set goals. You need to plan, you set goals, and then you need to act. Um, you know, faith, it, I'm, I'm a Christian and I like to, to say this, you know, quite a bit that faith without work is dead. You have to do the work. You have to be consistent. You, you have to keep um, doing what it takes to get to your desire to go to your dream, you have to envision it and then you have to do the work. And when you face challenges, especially failures, you need to, we need to know that our life are only meaningful because of the challenges we face. Imagine a life without challenges. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's a worthy life. It's not, it's literally nothing happening basically to you. So uh, when challenges, uh, when you face challenges, we embrace them and, um, and believe that when you fail, it just means that that's not the right thing for you to do. Mm-hmm. There's a lesson to learn. Let's take that lesson learned uh, with you and then move forward. Press forward. Um, more often than not, uh, we never really achieve the things we want to achieve the way we thought we could achieve them. A lot of times, something will happen and we have to be on a different path. But in the end, we achieve the same results or something even better. It may not just be exactly the way we planned. So always see that as someone guiding you uh, to where you're going to because you're still doing the work. 
then as you can see, to round this off, uh, I want that, that this, you know, my book is not, honestly, when I released the book, I wasn't thinking much about sales. I was just thinking about how it would impact people uh, that please, uh, hope and faith, you know, it, it's real. You, you got to keep that. We're not tied to that. You, you know, if you don't know much about that, read about it. You'd have to be a Christian or Muslim or religious to have faith. People have faith in different names, but whatever it is, latch onto it, you know, and, and it will give you the strength, uh, you know, to keep pressing. So um, that's all I have. Thank you very uh, much for having me, Jeff. That's fantastic. So how can our listeners find out more about you and this new book? It, yes. Uh, so the one-stop shop is my website, and that's www.djiuid.com. So single word, D-E-J-I-A-Y-O-A-D-E.com. Uh, and just navigate around that page and you, you will find, you know, the books and you click on them, you know, take it, um, you can find a booking, you know, Amazon and Barnes and Nobles, you know, it's all over the place. Or you can just Google my name and my book, Underground, DJI right there on Google and you'll see all the places you can find the book. All right. But on my website, you know, you get a chance to listen to my podcasts and my, my articles, published, you know, um, published articles and things like that. Uh, so, yeah, my website is the best. Fantastic. And we're going to put links in the show notes uh, just so you don't have to spell that. <laughs> so we'll get the links in there and you can check it out. And I've been on the website, lots of great information there. You get to hear more about uh, Deji's story and this book. Uh, it's fascinating. Again, I think there's a lot of lessons here as leaders that we need to take away from this idea of perseverance, never quitting, having a goal, a vision. I love how uh, JG says, find your, what is your American dream? It doesn't have to be what society says is American dream. Find yours, achieve it. And again, I think part of the story is leaving a positive legacy for your family and for those around you. Uh, think about what uh, what Deji went through and all the things he's achieved. And think about the lessons he's leaving for his children uh, that you can overcome almost any obstacle. And I, and I love that lesson. And I love that legacy. And part of what we have to do as leaders as is leave a positive legacy to those around us. Uh, Deji's has done it. He tells us how he did it in his book. I highly encourage you to check it out and learn more about his story. It's a very unusual story. And it's one story of perseverance and, and achieving really uh, things that are frankly impossible for, for people to do. Deji did it. And I think that's what makes this story so remarkable. So I, I encourage listeners, you check it out and follow the links below in the show notes and you can check it out and learn more about Deji and his story. Deji, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I love your story. Thank you for your service. Thank you for um, inspiring us all to dream a little bigger and uh, and to persevere through those. So I, pre I appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, John, thank you so much uh, for having me on your show. I was looking forward to this and I'm really glad uh, I got the opportunity to, to speak with you. Uh, this is wonderful. Uh, I appreciate the, the opportunity. Absolutely. Well, thanks again. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. 
For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Welcome to Transforming 45, the podcast that celebrates the incredible power of passionate voices. I'm your host, Lisa Boat. Join me in conversation with heart-led humans who share their deeply personal stories of transformation. Transforming 45 is here to uplift, connect, and remind you that it's never too late to write your next chapter. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and transformed. Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, that's my name is Prince Daniels Jr. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid.